This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Luke Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. Our guest today is Steve Hanna, who is a very accomplished individual. Uh, he is the senior principal at Infineon Technologies. He is the co-chair of the Embedded Systems Work Group at the Trusted Computing Group and a member of the Security Area Directorate in the Internet Engineering Task Force. I mean, wow, this guy has got a lot going on for him, as well as being an inventor or co-inventor of 47 issued U.S. patents and a regular speaker at many industry events. And today we're going to be talking to him in his role as uh, a spokesperson for the Trusted Computing Group. Now let me tell you what that is. The Trusted Computing Group, or TCG, is a nonprofit organization that was formed to develop, define, and promote open, vendor-neutral, global industry specifications, standards, and supportive of a hardware-based route of trust for interoperable trusted computing platforms. Again, that's a mouthful. Uh, but we've been talking about computing, uh, uh, secure computing, uh, digital security for a long time now. Uh, and looking into the specific issue of zero trust computing is really this is a crucial area. Now, I've written about standards groups before. I've talked about standards group that most people don't understand, and Trusted Computing Group has been around for quite a while. In fact, it's behind some of the more standard security features in our computers and our digital devices, and we're going to be talking about that with Steve. Uh, but I wanted to take this moment to just make you aware uh, that this organization exists and what it does. And so now we're going to get more into what they're doing and, and what they're working on specifically currently. So, Steve, I've done some articles in the past year uh, about uh, various organizations that are dedicated to digital security. And there are maybe a couple dozen of them that I found so far. Uh, yours is one of the latest ones that I found. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's not a lot of understanding amongst the en engineers about what's available to them in these organizations. Uh, in fact, most engineers in the, in the semiconductor world are pretty much clueless regarding how bad the security issue is in, in, in their own per profession. And now we've got these organizations like yours that are coming to the forefront and possibly providing more information for those engineers to do their job better and make their technologies more secure. How do you see the problem? Well, I think for most of us as engineers, we are trained to focus on a particular problem. What's the problem at hand? What are the tools that I have? How can I use those tools to solve that problem? And to the extent that in the past, 
embedded systems where an island that is not networked, not connected with the rest of the world, digital, digital security was not something that you really needed to worry too much about in embedded systems. Because how is the hacker or the attacker going to get to you anyway? <laughs> but now you start taking those embedded systems and you start networking them. You're yep. connecting them to each other and to the outside world. Now you've opened up a whole new world of uh, threats and problems, risks that you need to deal with. And one thinks about, oh, what am I getting out of it? And that's good. We have to think about that. But we also have to think about what am I giving up? What are the risks of connectivity? I think the current COVID-19 crisis is a perfect analogy for it. You know, we all knew what we were getting out of those social relationships. And now we can see as well how they put us at risk. So uh, I don't think any of us would suggest that a long-term strategy is us all hunkering down in our houses for the rest of time. And fortunately, it seems that won't be necessary with COVID-19. I think the same thing is true with embedded systems. The solution is not to cut them off from each other or from the outside world or from the internet. It's rather to come up with safe ways to interact. And uh, uh, so that's why it's so important for each of us as engineers and also as consumers to understand, at least to a, the relevant extent, the security risks uh, and the appropriate countermeasures that can be used to uh, address those risks. Well, that brings me to the hard question that I was going to uh, use at the end of this interview. <laughs> well, let's start uh, with it. We can keep going from there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so as I said, I've talked to a lot of different organizations that are dedicated to digital security. And now you're uh, the next one. But the, the, the question I have is, with all of these organizations working on the technology to make our digital devices secure, the problem is still getting worse. So what are you guys not doing? <laughs> so here's how I like to think of it. It's our job as engineers to build the solutions, but the adoption of the solutions is in another matter entirely. And uh, that's really a matter of uh, society, of politics, of economics and the like. And uh, so I would say that if we look at Trusted Computing Group in particular, one thing that we've done a great job of in Trusted Computing Group is building the fundamental technologies that allow you to create a trusted and trustworthy system. Uh, and uh, in fact, we created standards for those technologies for what's called trusted computing, which is quite relevant to the other topic you raised earlier, the zero trust architecture. We'll get back to that. But the, in order to get those technologies widely deployed, it requires some business or economic incentive to do so, or perhaps okay. one could argue, uh, you know, government in, intrusion but, or intervention. But in the case of trusted computing, this is something which is actually part of all of our lives today. Mm -hmm. If you use a Windows PC, you have trusted computing in your PC. You don't know it's there. You don't realize that inside your PC is a security chip called the Trusted Platform Module, which implements the standards created by Trusted Computing Group. 
but that's the truth. And Microsoft requires that chip to be in there for all business grade PCs. It's part of their minimum Windows hardware qualification list. And in for consumer grade, the same features and functions are required in order to run Windows and to receive their qualification sticker. Um, but they can be implemented in less secure ways. Instead of having a security chip, you can implement them in software or firmware or something like that, but still providing the same features and functions. From a consumer perspective, they just get to in use things like BitLocker or Windows Hello uh, or other security features of Windows without realizing that it's all being implemented with a standards-based security chip down at the lower level. Well, if that's true, why are Windows machines still so vulnerable? Well, Windows machines are a lot better than they used to be 20 years ago before they had trusted computing. So one of the things that we see with Windows machines now is that uh, the exploits that people uh, end up getting tricked by are often at the application layer. It's not so much the operating system getting infected, although that does happen now and then. But at the application layer, people are tricked into sending their information to the wrong person, clicking on the wrong link, uh, downloading the wrong code, and running that code. Uh, I think uh, that's, that's definitely a big issue. Uh, we also have problems of data breaches, which is up on the server side where data is uh, exfiltrated uh, or otherwise uh, released to the attackers, a different class of attack. But another thing that I think it's important to keep in mind is that uh, cybercrime is like ordinary crime. Uh, it's a profession, basically. Right. <laughs> there are people who make a living out of it, and it's their job. They work, you know, nine to five or maybe they work at night, whatever. They work whatever hours they want every day to figure out a way to hack into your systems, my systems, our systems. And uh, they're good at what they do. Now, do we blame the legislators and the police officers if crime continues to be a problem? Well, no, we might see if we can figure out better ways to stop it, you know, better locks, better uh, other techniques, but, um, but, uh, or better laws for that matter. Uh, but we don't say, you know, well, it's the cop's fault or it's the, the judge's fault or the, the legislator's fault. There will always be criminals. And these days, many of them are cyber criminals. So, uh, I don't think it's realistic to think we'll ever get the risk down to zero. Okay. What we're trying to do is get it down to an acceptable level and keep it at that level. That gets us a little bit closer to the subject of zero trust computing. Um, th everyone has a responsibility for keeping the, their own security. I mean, there, there are certain things that technology can do, but then we also have to take responsibility for what we do with those things. And a couple of years ago, I had to buy a new computer because uh, my, my system was slowing down. And when I called up Apple support and said, why is my system running so slow? We went through the diagnostic and he started telling me features to turn off. But because I knew what I was talking about, I was really 
realizing this guy's telling me to make my computer less secure. So that's that's the issue is that we have these technologies available to us, but we either don't use them or we deactivate them. Do you agree with that? I think that's true to a certain extent. I think it's true also that uh, as a business, it's your responsibility to provide a safe working uh, environment mm. and to protect the information of your customers. And so as a business, a zero trust is really all about exactly what you said. That is, we recognize that the security of uh, devices is never going to be perfect, whether that's because somebody's turned something off on their uh, PC or they brought their smartphone into the environment and that got hacked uh, or uh, for whatever reason, we can't just assume that, oh, it's plugged into our network, it must be secure. So with zero trust, what we say is, ah, yes, trust but verify in that uh, old adage. Um, you have to make sure that the device that's being connected to the network is what it claims to be and that it's adequately secure and that it's an authorized user. And those are the critical things uh, from a zero trust perspective. Well, I said connected to the network, but I could as easily have said connected to the website uh, or uh, to a particular s service. These days, uh, we spend more and more of our time out and about connected over a variety of different networks. So uh, you may be accessing something in the cloud um, and it's that cloud then that's responsible for verifying that you are an authorized user for whatever you are trying to do uh, and that you're using a safe enough uh, device for whatever you're trying to do. So uh, I, I do think it's a shared responsibility. The user has a responsibility. The corporation has a responsibility. And I'd like to add that I think the manufacturer has a responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. We really shouldn't shortchange that, whether it's the operating system manufacturer like Microsoft or Apple uh, or the application uh, manufacturer, uh, somebody who's building a, a web browser or an app for your phone. They have a responsibility as well because everybody else could do their job just right. And if the application code is vulnerable, if it has a buffer overrun or something like that, uh, a vulnerability as we call it, then that's something that the attacker can uh, go into and uh, exploit and uh, use in order to take control of the device um, and to get access to whatever they're trying to get access to. Uh, it's really the defender's dilemma that the defender, if you imagine a defender in a castle, has to protect on all sides mm -hmm. um, and from all directions. And the attacker just has to find that weak spot, that weak link in the chain, if you will, uh, that the defender has failed to defend. So it, it ultimately uh, comes down to each of us as individuals, but also to our employers and our suppliers uh, to, uh, to do our job to keep things as secure as possible. And, and then it gets to something we call defense in depth. That is, you have backup measures in place. You have multiple layers of defense. A good corporate security plan is gonna say, yes, we authenticate the users. Yes, we check those devices, make sure they're secure. Uh, but also, uh, we 
monitor what's going on. And if we see something sp suspicious, huh, somebody's going through all of our customer records and downloading them. Well, is that their job? Okay, maybe that's all right. But otherwise, uh, maybe that's awfully suspicious. Or somebody's trying to log into the same account over and over and over again, not five times, but a hundred times. Hmm, <laughs> a thousand times. Well, that's really a trigger and we should be looking out for that. So it's having multiple security measures uh, in, a, in your defensive system. Is the TCG looking into artificial intelligence as a component of digital security? Uh, we don't have any work groups that are working on artificial intelligence at this point. Basically, we have a couple of fundamental technologies that we build, have built standards for, and we're always interested in new ones. But the first is that security chip, the trusted platform module that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. The second is what are called self-encrypting drives. It's basically a hard drive with the security built in. It has an encryption capability built into the drive. Um, that way, if somebody uh, steals your computer, they're not going to be able to read your data. And it avoids the performance slowdown that you mentioned earlier if you try to do those things in software. These self-encrypting drives are really quite common. In fact, it's almost impossible to find uh, a drive that doesn't have encryption built in. Um, the other things that we have standards for, uh, we have uh, trusted network communications, which is all about being able to build those zero trust networks, which authenticate and verify the devices as they come in, performing a health check on a device to determine whether it's admissible or needs to be upgraded or patched or otherwise fixed. Okay. Um, and finally, something that we call cyber resiliency. And this cyber resiliency, this is a new topic uh, for us. Uh, I think a new topic in the industry is all about how to make self-healing products so that if a device does become infected, instead of needing to send somebody out there and you have to recover it and you know reinstall the operating system and all that sort of stuff, um, a self-healing product has its own immune system, if you will, able to detect that the product has become infected and then to uh, revert to a recovery mode and to reinstall its own operating system uh, to a safe uh, state, uh, the latest version of the operating system, and get back into a functional mode. We really believe, and this is something that uh, NIST, uh, the US government agency, has affirmed as well, uh, that as we have more and more IoT devices out there, it's not gonna be possible, number one, to keep them all secure all the time, I mean, that's just not the way the world works. Things get infected sometimes. But number two, to send people out there to take down every little temperature sensor and reboot it and reinstall the operating, it just needs to heal itself automatically. Of course, it's a great technology for your laptop as well, the self-healing capabilities uh, or your mobile phone. But really, we think that the, the pressing need for it comes with the Internet of Things. So uh, that's... Uh, a new technology that we've been working on recently. That's an interesting concept. Uh, last year, the FBI put out a directive uh, to users of uh, common routers that come from ISPs uh, that some of them had been infected and that in order to 
get rid of the infection, you had to reboot your router. But when that when that actually happened, if those devices had the infection, it would brick the, the router altogether, just kill it. Uh, so you had to go out and get a new one. So are, what you're talking about is a means for the technology to heal itself without actually killing the product? Exactly. If the router did become infected, uh, it would detect it even at runtime. There's an ability to detect it at runtime to say, ooh, you know, I don't like what's, what's running on you. That does not look good. Uh, you need to reboot. And then it reboots. And during that boot sequence, instead of just locking up, detecting that it's infected and just locking up, that's what a normal secure boot would do. Yeah. Um, but these that have the resiliency capability, they will detect it and they'll go into a recovery mode. And then they'll download the latest version of the operating system and reinstall the operating system. That's just a typical example of how it might work. Uh, some can implement it differently. They can even have just two copies of the operating system at all times, and it'll fall back to a known good version of the operating system in case the main copy has become infected. But because of how it's implemented, it's this ability to detect and to recover from infection that's critical for those resilient systems. But there's just so many other IoT devices out there that are, have the same uh, potential for problems. When will that hit the market? Well, I think there are some companies that already have it uh, on a proprietary basis. Mm -hmm. But uh, we should see the standards coming out uh, for public review in the next few months. And I hope uh, widely uh, distributed in final form uh, by the end of the year. Uh, so uh, products probably next year. That would be my guess. That was Steve Hanna from the Trusted Computing Group. Uh, lots of stuff is going on in this area and it's getting better. Is it going to be anytime soon? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> because that's the way technology works. The bad side seems to be growing faster than the good side. But still, there's hope in the future. Uh, there are technologies out there that will be making us safer. So that's the good news. And let's leave it at the good news because we need it at this time. So stay safe out there. Stay home as long as we need to. And let's get over this quickly. So uh, if you have any comments or questions uh, and you are listening on the Anchor.fm channel, uh, then you can leave them right there. Uh, you can also make donations to this pod podcast. We are open to it. Uh, but I do uh, appreciate your input. Uh, we, we use it quite often for uh, developing new, uh, new shows. Uh, so uh, as I said, be safe out there. And thanks for listening to Crucial Tech. This is Lou Covey. And this is a Footwasher Media production.